Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Natalie Portman. Seriously, there is no Todd and Wes. It's been her the whole time. She's just that good. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Juice. Get the Tappy Tibbins collection and join us in creating excitement. Welcome to The Pestle. I'm Wes. <laughs> and, and I'm Todd, I think. <laughs> and this is the pestle where we like to analyze, kind of grind up. That's the idea behind the pestle. It's a mortar and pestle. It's that stone thing that you see people use for like corn and they take corn and then, or wheat and they put it on this stone and they use a, a pestle, this other stone thing. They grind it up and they turn it into flour or whatever. And so for us, we're not making flour. We're making a podcast where we grind up a movie or a TV show in some cases and we pick it apart. We say, hey, here's what it's made of or what we're getting out of it. Maybe this wasn't the best sampling. <laughs> yeah. But this is what we, I don't know, see. It's what we're taking, it, taking out of it. Yeah. You know, the more we get into this, this is episode number 70, and we're doing Alita Battle Angel, which is, of course, a sci-fi movie. And I'm just wondering, as a percentage, how many sci-fi films we've actually done. That's a good question. I bet it's not quite half, but I bet, I it's, bet it's a good 40%. Yeah. If I, had to, if I had to pick. I love sci-fi. Yeah, so do I, man. There's just something about, like, there's a, I don't know, there's something that, that in it that just makes you... When it's done right, yeah. you know, just in awe of possibilities of the future, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good point. It's like a rehearsal for the future. Yeah. I mean, sci-fi doesn't necessarily mean... A lot of people, when you say sci-fi, they think outer space, but it doesn't have to be that. Like, mm -hmm. like I mean, Alita is a great example. I mean, I don't necessarily know if that was Earth that they were on. I'm assuming yeah, it was. I'm assuming because they kind of... Well, we'll get into that. Yeah, but, right, right. But it, it was a planet. They weren't mm -hmm. in outer space, yeah. you know, so... Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, it, it doesn't even always have to be in the future. It can be like a an interpretation of today with added science fiction elements. Uh, like, The Fly is a good example of that. Like, it w wasn't this crazy out of world experience. It was like, hey, no, this is scientist and he's creating a thing um, that isn't technically possible today. And so that's the fiction part. Is usually you're doing things. Star Trek was science fiction, but it was based in reality. It was all things that they believed is actually possible in time. And I kind of like the idea that is a rehearsal for the future. It's like, hey, how do we like this technology and how does it affect society? And it's a good way to kind of experiment with the idea of the different ways society interacts with technology and how it influences not just uh, people, but the power structures and the dynamics between relationships. There's a lot of different ways technology can influence us in ways that uh, in a day-to-day -day basis, like cell phones, we just kind of accepted into our life. But if you were thrown back into 70s, I think the results would be very much the same. Yeah. The effect on society would be, you know, very little difference. Agreed. And yeah. so that's the kind of the cool thing that even though a movie like Alita may be 600 years in the future or whatever, some of those effects and results are still going to be the same as if they had happened today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love sci-fi. Yeah, <laughs> so that being said... If you haven't seen Alita Battle Angel, pause the episode, go watch it, uh, and then come back and, and listen to what we have to say. Yeah, we don't want to ruin it. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about a few things. We'll 
touch on visual effects, some of the story. Um, and along the way, I'll be peppering in things I learned from a Robert Rodriguez, the director, uh, Q and a that I got to sit in on. I saw a screening and he was there and he was talking up a storm. He's actually an excellent interview, um, which blew my mind. Awesome. But yeah, I'll pepper that in and we'll talk about some other stuff and things and stuff and things. Uh, so quick synopsis, a, a de- deactivated female cyborg is revived, but cannot remember anything of her past life and goes on a quest to find out who she is. Directed by Robert Rodriguez. Screenplay by James Cameron and Leda Calagridis. Sure, yeah, we'll do that. Starring Rosa Salazar as Alita, Chris, Christoph Waltz as Dr. Ito, Jennifer Conley as Chirin, Marshala Ali as Vector, Ed Screen as Zapan, Jackie Earl Haley as Gruishka, and Kian Johnson as Hugo. This body, it has the power I need. I feel a connection to it. I can't explain. This could be who I am. You've been given a chance to start over with a clean slate. How many of us get that Why did an enemy warship respond to me? Because I knew that ship. I've been on others like it, haven't I? Haven't I? Oh, whatever you were, it's not who you are now. I'm a warrior, aren't I? Nice. So I've got a couple times to see this, but we just watched it yesterday, actually. Yeah. How did you feel coming out of this thing? I was pumped, man. (laughs) I loved this movie. I loved it. So from the... Okay. Movies like this, when you watch a trailer, when I watch these trailers, I'm... I'm either like, oh, I can't wait, or um, I think that's going to be really dumb. And this one, I was so excited. I don't even know why. Like the trailer, I saw the trailer. I just thought, and it wasn't because it was cut well, even though it was cut well, very well. Like whoever makes these trailers is just, (laughs) God, really good. Uh, But but it was just like the story and the, the, the connection between the cyborg and the human realm, you know, all mixed in and the way they made her look, which was um, incredible. It just was, I was so excited to see it. So excited. And, uh, to the point where I played, you know, hooky in an (laughs) afternoon of work and went and saw it with you, but I was happier with the film than I thought I would be, even though I was so excited to see it. It was that good to me. That's amazing. When I went to sit down and watch it, I was uh, apprehensive. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. I was, I thought I was honestly just going to hate it. Like uh, I went yeah. in, I was like, Oh, this is going to be a cheese ball fest and action's probably not going to sell me. And, uh, the story's probably going to be really, really dumb. And all the things I, for a number of reasons, I think the trailer didn't sell me quite that well, but I, I really didn't see much of the trailer. I think I was maybe relying a little bit more on posters in the very first trailer they released, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I had that first impression of that very, 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 very first trailer, which was, I don't know, a year ago. I mean, it was a long time ago, um, mm-hmm. relatively. And they changed a lot since then, for sure. But I saw that and I was like, mm, I don't know about this. And especially having this tiny girl being a badass, that's always going to be a tough sell. Yeah. But I, yeah, so I went in and I'm just not, I'm not a huge Rodriguez fan. I have a ton of respect. I'm an Austin guy and he's an Austinite. 
And so I have a ton of respect and I look up to him a lot because of what he's been able to accomplish, especially working so far outside the studio. He, I think he usually just shoots and edits himself. He does a lot of his own music. I mean, he is a man after my own heart in terms of like, he wants to own the process and I've been on a couple of his sets, I think one or two of his sets and saw how he runs it. And it's a, interesting it's fine i mean i don't have any good or bad things to say about that it was he seemed to largely keep a distance from the actors actually but it might have just been that particular day or week or whatever and so i went in i was like man his last several movies haven't been doing it for me like the mm-hmm. machete series i don't care for it's not my cup of tea the whole exploitation thing and other than sin city the first one and desperado and maybe one other one. I mean, Dust Till Dawn, I guess. Like, I just don't have a lot of his stuff that I'm. I cannot wait for. Like, he's he's okay. His action's always good, but he was just okay. And so I sat down, and the really intimidating part was he gets up and introduces the movie, and he says, "I just got back from a screening in L.A. and everything was really great. Um, I know we're at the Alamo here, and so there's a no talking rule, but I'm hoping this is a rule free Wednesday, you know, and we can." Don't just sit there chat, but if something excites you on the screen, yell, let out a whoop or whatever, and get really excited. You know, it's okay because she does some badass things in this, and it's okay to let me know. And I'm hearing this, and I'm like, oh, man, don't start doing that. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing I want. (laughs) The last thing I'm wanting. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever, get out of here. And he gets up to leave. And normally at this point, that's what the filmmaker does. They'll just leave. They've seen this thing a thousand times. They've edited it. They wrote it. They directed it. This is the last thing they want to do is sit in through it again because they're not editing anything from here on out. There's nothing more to do. Uh, So they usually go have a dinner or a bar, probably (laughs) have a drink. Instead, he sits down like right behind me, like literally three feet away from me. And I'm like, that's not good. (laughs) I don't want to feel like I'm judging. And and it's just, I feel him there the whole time. Yeah. 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 Sure. (laughs) And so the movie runs and I'm like, dang, this isn't all bad. Like there's some warts in here, but I'm kind of enjoying it. And, uh, you know, Rosa Salazar is awesome. Uh, and so I, I fell in love with her and Ido. I mean, Christoph Waltz, you already had me at hello. Yeah. And I was just really surprised. And I was like, did I really just like that way more than I expected? I went in with kind of transformers expectations. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be all action, no heart. And the heart that it goes for is just never going to land. It's just going to, roll my eyes to back of my skull yeah and it surprised me so much throughout the film like it's not that it's like a perfect 10 kind of thing but it really upset my expectations on this thing holy crap which should should bring it up a notch honestly yeah because if you have if you have low expectations of a movie like this it's not like low expectations of a, a a normal live action film you know this is this is like a very heavily CGI'd futuristic sci-fi film. So to have low expectations of that with all of those criteria and then for it to come out on like, that's a hard, that's a hard sell. (laughs) It really is. And they did it. I mean, uh, one of the smart things I think he did was tons of, like you said, tons of CGI, but they also built a set to surround everything. And I want to say he, he said that it was like a 97,000 square foot 
set that they built on his lot and is still standing up there. And that's a great way to start selling your, your world is to have a physical world that everyone's interacting with. The light is bouncing and uh, rolling around and it's creating natural shadows. So there's a really smart base that they started with and then building from there, like, okay, well now the CGI feels a little bit more natural because it's set in a real world. And I mean, she's all CGI, so yeah. you better have something going for you. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about the VFX for just a second? Yeah. So one specific thing that Rodriguez does really well, and, and you can hearken back to Sin City in this, is that the there's not one aspect of the environment that will stand out apart from the VFX. It's hard to, for me to say this. Like, So you have Alita, who is all VFX, you have, you know, a lot of the buildings and structures that, you know, a lot of them are real, but obviously not all of them. So there's a lot of VFX either in the background or maybe some in the foreground, but there's a lot of real, real stuff around you. Even in the real stuff, the stuff that's actually built, that's, that's there, it blends in. He has this way of blending in reality into the VFX Cause like, and I say this cause like, if you look at a movie like star Wars, right, mm-hmm. there's VFX in that, but there's obviously practicals in that. Yeah. So they're like real, real stuff that was built and, and, and is on camera, but it's easy to tell the two apart. Yeah. Very easy. It like, it's, it almost takes you out of it sometimes because either the VFX is not good enough or the real stuff is too real for the VFX. Do you know the way that it's either lit or yeah. staged in the foreground or I always feel like whenever I see, let's say there's a box that someone's holding that isn't actually there. It's like a CGI box. I always feel like the thing that really sticks out to me is the texturing is off. Yeah. Like they didn't do an extra two or three layers of texture. Yeah. And therefore the, it still looks a little bit like a cartoon and therefore the lighting doesn't look real. Um, that's bouncing and reflecting off of it. And so I think texturing to me is always a big deal. But I think one of the things that he talked about too uh, in his Q&A, he says like, man, I was able to look through the camera and see where the visual effects were. Like they had composites in camera. Cool. So just being able to kind of frame and block based on what you know you're going to have in post uh, and having it pretty realistic. And it's not like, oh, there's a wireframe. It's like, no, there's a building right there that yeah. you can't actually see. Or the, uh, the, the, the Zalam or Zatam. What's the, oh, the, yeah, I don't know what the city. Yeah. This, yeah the yeah. floating city yeah. is it's in the shot as he's framing it up. And so now that relatively is always going to stay the same. Yeah. And so the more you're able to just build it into your hint, your, your camera work, I think is a, big level up to being able to have consistency and all those things that we're expert in light and lighting and geography. Like we kind of understand the way things and there's ways to cheat it for sure. But if you're not starting with this really smart grounded place, man, it's going to fall apart really quick and it almost doesn't matter how much you put into post. Yeah. I I think you hit the nail on the head when you said lighting for some reason, this the way that the practical stuff is lit hides the fact that it's separate from the VFX. It's lit perfectly to match the two things. And so that makes perfect sense. If he was seeing, you know, the the composites in the camera, he he would know specifically what he wants the lighting to look like in that particular scene. And that's also why you bring in Weta. Weta Digital yeah, did, yeah. you know, Alita. And I'm sure they spread the effects around to a bunch of different production houses based on 
what they needed. What isn't the one you go to do a sky replacement? Like films do that all the time now where, oh, we don't like we're shooting in winter, but it needs to look like summertime. So in post that aerial shot that looks like this beautiful lush green uh, house with all these nice trees around. None of those trees are there. They're all barren like, yeah. because of the time of year. They'll have someone come in and like redo the landscape mm-hmm. just to make it fit the scene that they're trying to do. You don't do, you don't pull in Weta for that. They're way too expensive. Um, they're one of the best in the world. I mean, you have to talk about industrial light and magic who do the star Wars films and Weta and maybe one other one. I think I always forget who it is, is if it's milk or whoever, but there's only a very, very small handful that you say, you go get those guys um, because they're going to be really expensive, but they're going to be meticulous. They're not just going to, Oh, we're going to uh, camera track, you know, the motion and, and then add a composite and, you know, skin the whatever rotoscope it and yeah, yeah. insert stuff. They're going to go research the physics. How does water move? Mm-hmm. And then they're going to build an algorithm around that and they're going to keep refining it. They still do that. They send people around the world testing water and different surfaces and rocks uh, for the physics of it so that they can create as accurate as they can, you know, and most production houses do this kind of stuff, but they spend the time and they have the artists in house, I think to go and start trying to really work through some of these ideas. I mean, they're expensive. They have yeah. a very, very, very big render farm. I'm sure of, uh, I remember reading about this when they were doing Lord of the Rings that they spent millions building supercomputers in order to render out their effects. Oh my God. <laughs> Not everybody has resources to do those kinds of things. Yeah. And so you go to Weta whenever you need to do something really well. And whenever your title character is an effect yeah. <laughs> set in the real world, you, you better get ILM or Weta because people are going to know if you screw that up. Yeah. And not to it say that amazing. you can't see Alita's of an effect. I think it sells yeah. better in 3D. Like, yeah. this is one of the few movies I would say see it in 3D instead of 2D. Okay. And I, I'll go back. I wanted to see just in case. I was like, well, I want to see what it looks like in 2D. And 3D is a better experience. Okay. Um, it's Good subtle. They don't go over the top, but they shot it stereoscopically. So it's it just helps implant you that much more in the world, I think. Awesome. Uh, especially when you get to those fight scenes. Yeah. Uh, holy crap. Yeah. It, it was just, I, I don't know. I never felt take, taken out by noticing something was real as opposed to an effect. Yeah. It felt like they, there was a, it, a, such a delicate and yet perfect balance between the two. Obviously, um, balance meaning like a transition. You're constantly transitioning between, you know, a real set and, you know, pieces of VFX, which are just, littered everywhere from the the you know the the cyborgs walking around or like the 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 mechanical you know limbs and and all this stuff and i it all felt completely it all either the vfx felt more real or the real felt more vfxy it was a it, do you know what i'm saying yeah that's what i'm trying to say it was find like, a middle ground it, don't make them be so extreme right and it was a perfect balance between the two i felt like i didn't feel taken out because that box looks too real yeah next to that vfx thing yeah you know it was it was yeah that's totally true my favorite effect in the entire film i think was Japan. Mm. like that guy looked Absolutely yeah. incredible. I don't know if they actually built that body or that what. That was amazing. But it was absolute perfection. And I, and I think one of the reasons for that is skin is really hard to do. Metal is not. Mm. Metal reflects and acts a very predictable way. 
her face, Alita's face, I mean, there's hundreds of muscles in there. And if you're going to do it right, which I assume what I did, you're going to have to replicate and have markers and facial scanning to target every single one of those muscles so that if she just makes, you know, a slight twitch, you don't get an uncanny valley effect. It's like, no, there's a real person inside of there. And like, yeah. she has a brain. Yeah. That's the only real thing about her. Um, everything else is like machine and cyborg. And so, because there's a person in there, she's expecting her body to react the way it would as a real person. And you feel all of that. Like they nail it. And it really helps too, that she gives an amazing performance. Like I think she is excellent. Yeah. Like if I don't see her in more films of every kind, not just Alita, but even in bird box, like I think she was just a really good actress. And I, I really hope to see more of her because if it wasn't for Rosa Salazar, I don't think I would have liked this movie at all. I would have said, man, good action sequences, screw the rest. Just give me the 10-minute version of this movie. Mm. But because she was in it, I believed and I really loved her. And I wanted her to succeed and to win, of course, everything. But I felt her pain. I felt her confusion. And she wore it all on her sleeve. And it really goes, I would say, to the credit of Rodriguez, too. Because he gave her so much room, I think, to act and ad-lib even. Mm-hmm. There are lines in here where oh the the scene where he says you broke my nose and she says i know i did that was ad lib like awesome and she kept it it. in and it's it's you might think yeah okay well it was a smart ad lib he kept it in no big deal you have to remember that probably adds more cost (laughs) to the effects because now instead of having us you know just a straight look you got to animate her mouth and her words and her eyes like delivering that line that's that's an investment to keep yeah. that in there yeah. and to not just give her that freedom, but to honor it. Like that's, man, kudos to Rodriguez. Definitely. <laughs> so what about the story? What'd you think? I had a lot of issues. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of issues actually. Um, Keeping in mind that this felt like the first of another. Yes. That was the one thing I will say. The, when the movie ended, I was like, I will absolutely watch this next movie. Mm-hmm. I want to see what happens next. Okay. Um, Partially because we didn't have a lot. There's a lot that didn't get answered. Yes. Like we don't know why she was in the trash heap. Right. That's a weird person a th- item to throw away randomly. So you have to assume someone is up there doing something to change the world up there. I'm assuming not everybody is just brains in a jar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but apart from that, yeah, this was a James Cameron script and it really shows. Uh, one of the things... Rodriguez said was that when he got the script, it was like 180 pages, which is like a three hour film. If you were to shoot it. Yeah. Um, and he was like, I'm just going to edit this like I would a movie. So he edited the script down to make it, you know, filmable in a little over two hours or whatever. And so kudos to Rodriguez to editing it, but man, backhand for not editing more because I thought the, the dialogue was really stilted and all over the place. Um, not 100% of the time, but probably I'd say 75, 80% of the time. If you don't have excellent actors like Christoph Waltz and uh, Rosa Salazar, like elevating your script, you are really ruined. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the exposition, which you can't act your way around all the time, uh, was just a little on the nose. It was a little too quick and I don't know, uh, it wasn't slick and it wasn't seamless. It, it always felt like. Oh, that's Zapan. He's the baddest uh, hunter warrior. That and by the way, hunter warrior is a. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. You know, it just felt a little obvious and mm-hmm. screamed out loud. Like, hey, by, by the way, here's some story back uh, backstory that you need to know about. 
thank you. Here we go now back yeah. to the rest of the show. Like it was just might as well have been title cards that they were mm-hmm. flashing. Um, I can see that. I hate kick the dog tactics. And so it's this, this, this idea of whenever you want to show someone isn't a good guy that you have a villain. A good way for the audience to hate them would be to have them kick the dog, so to speak. Um, oh, right. And that way it's like, oh, man, we love dogs. You shouldn't be hurting dogs. And in this case, they literally kick the dog. Like yeah. they have them kill the dog, which was like, I was just, my, I couldn't bear it. Like I was just rolling my eyes in the movie. I'm like, why would you do something stupid like that? Like, I, I mean, whatever, you want to kill a dog. I'm not like up in arms about it in some moralistic way, just in the way that it's lazy storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like there's other ways to get us to hate, you know, Bruishka. Um, for one, he he's after Alita. That's probably enough. Yeah, that's enough. Um, and I get the technique of well, that's how the dog guy gets involved, which he disappears for the rest of the film. So it was just a useless element mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. furthering the world in the story. Like it paid no dividends whatsoever in my book. You also have just a lot of really undeserved arcs. You have this boyfriend who's a bad boy who becomes a good boy, I guess. And that whole story was just unbelievable to me. I don't buy that Hugo, Kean Johnson. I think he has some work to do. That was just not a great yeah. performance. Yeah. Um, I really hate, as an actor, I hate calling out, you know, not great performances. But that that whole little gang of kids was just not believable as ruffians or anything of the sort. I just did not believe their performances whatsoever. They were just kind of saying their lines. There was no depth or lived in nature of their characters. And to a point, I agree with that idea of just say the words, but that presupposes that you've done the homework on your character Mm -hmm. and that it's going to come out as your character. Do you think that was in the writing or you think it was the acting? Both. I think if the writing had been better, they would have been better. But if they had been better actors, they would have made those perf- uh, yeah. lines come out better. Yeah. Uh, because Rosa was getting the same garbage. Um, she was just turning it into Alita, you know. Mm-hmm. But Hugo never felt like Hugo. I always felt like I was seeing Robert Rodriguez uh, cast and dress himself on screen. Like mm. the kid wearing the bandana and the leather jacket riding the motorcycle. It just screamed, oh, I want to see myself portrayed on screen, which is fine. I don't have an inherent problem with that. It just felt a little too obvious and it. I just didn't believe that guy. I mean, he needs to cast a different actor for that role or something. Um, so luckily he got or killed Or just off. make him a different style of, uh, of character, yeah. maybe even, you know, less of like the bad boy kid yeah. and maybe like the, maybe like the, the broken kid who does these bad things because he has to and, and, but hates it the whole time because yeah. he, does, he doesn't really hate it until later when he falls yeah. in love with Alita. Right. You know, but like, what if he was like always torn and just, you know, like this broken guy and Alita saves him. Essentially. Yeah. And that's the thing is I didn't buy their love story that much. Yeah. Like I never got a real clear reason why she loved him other than he's a cute dude who would talk to her. Totally. Yeah. Like, like, I it was like a teenage infatuation almost. Yeah. Like there was no real reason for them to love each other. And, I can understand Rose's naivete or naivety, whatever, but I, yeah, there was a lot missing there. I thought the, the arc with the mom, Sharin. Oh yeah. Completely undeserved what, you know, she cares now all of a sudden, like she's willing to help them. That didn't make any sense. There was a lot of issues with the way Alita and Ito interacted. 
not necessarily the acting, the performances, those were great. Like I could watch those two in a room together all day long, but it was the writing portion of that, of she gets defiant and angry and runs away. Nothing gets resolved, but people end up changing their minds. (laughs) Like why, why he's like, don't do motorball. Don't become a hunter warrior. You'll never have this new suit. Okay. You know, you know, I'll, whatever i'll help you here's a new suit here's motorball like none of that really made any sense it well was, she had to have the suit she the body he decided to give her the suit he had tons of other parts he could have built her if he was really dead set against never seeing this power and they're trying to insinuate by watching her stand up to Bruishka that you know now he believes she's a good person and that she'll do good things but they never play that out like you never have that that conversation or that realization. They just seem too often to rely on a look to sell character growth. And that's not what that is. You can't just have a character look and admire someone from afar and then suddenly you believe they've changed their mind. There needs to be some actual dialogue or action, uh, preferably, involved in that process. And if we just, we never get it. Yeah, I, I think that my my biggest issue... I mean, yeah, I had similar issues with some of the performances and, and deliveries and stuff, but my biggest issue was just that like, like there wasn't really, and I know this is, you know, obviously watching it, it's the first of another one. I, yeah, it's hopefully. obvious. Yeah. Oh God, I, I hope or else it's really bad. I, I don't really see like nothing really happened. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Overall. Like, we let's guess, be honest. There's not really a crest cresting yeah. the, the, like the, 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 the biggest crest, I guess, in the story is when Hugo dies, mm-hmm. I think. Right. And then it just kind of ends because yeah, she doesn't even at the very end, she doesn't even win to go to the city yeah. yet. She has to still race that last race in order to win, to go to the city and I know that that's holding out for the next one, but like the whole time, the whole time, well, not, I guess the whole second half of the film, I was thinking, okay, now I'm ready to get to the meat of it of like, like here is the, the crux of it. Like here is the, the main purpose of this mm-hmm. film. And I never really get it because like, I guess the biggest thing that she does with that body is kill Garishka, right? Yeah. I mean, that's right. Yeah, I mean, she goes and she tears apart Vector's basement with all the other bots, right? With uh, with those centuries, and she tears those guys apart. Yeah, but, but that's not that's really not, accomplishing anything. And that's not really like like the the bigger goal. The, is like to they weren't take they, down Nova. Yeah, they weren't her, who she was really fighting. They were just yeah. in the way at the time. Yeah, but Garushka, she was actually fighting Garushka, mm-hmm. and and so she beats him. But then we never even see her really like race with that body. No, yeah, that's right. So she doesn't really do anything with it. So like the whole thing, I guess was to, for her to find out who she was. And so she did, but that wasn't, it was just very, I mean, sloping, you know, shallow sloping. Yeah. It wasn't a super satisfying. Yeah. I wasn't like, I wasn't like the only, yeah. The only thing that she accomplished was getting her suit. Yeah. And sword. Right. Right. Now she's whole. Yeah. And so it felt like a very 
long way around to not go very far. Yeah, this could have been an hour and a half movie and yeah. been badass. Yeah, I'd agree. I completely agree with that. You know, there's a lot of other writing issues, and this comes back to James Cameron shouldn't be writing; he should be outlining mm. and letting writers, you know, help him out. There's a lot of just cheesy names and lingo that they use throughout. Vector, I think, is a terrible name. Motorball is a terrible name. And it's kind of a terrible sport to describe. Like watching it in action, I think, is pretty fun. Like that's a badass sport. But just hearing it described, especially, you got to call it something else. I don't care if it's called that in the comics. You got to change it for the film. And today, this was written in like the 90s, the early 90s. Things have changed since then. Uh, Servos. uh, I mean, there's just a lot of cheesy names, lingo, hokey imagery. Watching limbless people slow motion you know, fall is, it's just not great. Like Hugo falling at the end really pulled me out. I'm like, Oh man, that, that does not look good. And it just, I, I no longer care about him. I'm so like puzzled over the inclusion of that shot. Yeah. Like get a close up on his face. Like you can, you can block that differently. You don't have to show him limbless like that. It just looks silly, honestly. And it, and it sucks or the same thing. Not as bad, but similarly, Alita jumping through the air uh, and stabbing Grishka in the eye. It wasn't super bad. I wasn't super. They could have done it better, I think, Um, either faster or tighter. Just, yeah, just seeing someone with one arm and nothing else like doing this heroic action move. Uh, is, is a really tough sell visually, I think, uh, for me at least. Now, whenever she landed it, I'm like nice like yeah. i was i was super happy about it but uh it did pull me out for a moment and the inch even basically the beginning shot where ito finds alita and he holds her up like that's such an awkward angle to hold anything that i got pulled out by like why is he holding her like that that's weird and i can understand wanting to maybe start in in that position but I would have said, you know, naturalize it, like let her fall to your hips and or at least to your chest and cradle her at your chest or something just to add a little more natural movement to it. Because when you have people no longer acting and looking like people, that's distracting. You're distracting from the story. And the whole point should be to make us pay attention to the story and have us invested, not invest in a cool looking shot. I don't give a shit how cool your shot looks if I no longer care about what's happening in it. It's it frustrates mm-hmm. the hell out of me. Um, and using okay, I will like say one more negative thing, and then I'll get onto some. You're tearing the shit apart, <laughs> I man. <know>. Jesus. <laughs> but there are some good things, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, the last thing that was super sketchy, uh, as far as a line of dialogue, was when the two ruffians. Uh, the Asian girl is talking to uh, the, I don't know if he was mixed or if he was black, but the buddies of Hugo. And she's asking him, she's like, why don't you like, you know, Alita or cyborgs? And he's like, I never really got it. Whatever, you know, those hard bodies. Yeah. The hard bodies. And they used to be our enemies. And she looks at him and she goes, that was 300 years ago, you know, get over it. And saying that line to a black guy, I don't know, is the smartest move because it could come off a little metaphoric whenever you're, you start thinking about oppression and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of time frame. 300 years is pretty close to like 400 years. And there could be some bad takeaways from that uh, that people might derive 
basically saying, get over, you know, slavery, like stop looking at everybody's enemy. I'm not saying truth or non-truth. I'm just saying that's, that's a dicey line to yeah. throw in there. I, I, now, in that now that situation. you say that, I could see that. I, I wasn't even thinking, I was thinking more along the lines of like, like Germany and World mm. War Two or Vietnam, you know, like though, like different, different, uh, not different races, but different, uh, countries. Yeah. That's what I was, I, I didn't That's see good. the race card, but I, I totally see it. Yeah. That it could be, it could, could be. be taken that you way. You could yeah. definitely take it that way. Yeah. Um, I will say on the positive side, storytelling wise, I did love her attraction to violence as a storytelling tool. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really smart because normally action can feel forced. Um, and it feels like you're just throwing characters together. I never felt like that in this movie. Once she discovered that she could learn more about her past through action, that felt like a really natural segue for her to go seeking out action. Mm-hmm. Like, let me get in a fight. Let me stir things up because maybe I can learn more about who I really am. I thought that's a brilliant like way to get us into those action sequences. Yeah. Especially since those sequences are so fast because nobody can touch her, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, and I would say even that those are the real reason to even see the movie. Like, see it for her, see it for the visual effects, see it for the action, man, because that action is so freaking badass. And from another, and this is a much lighter storytelling tool, but I, I liked it all the same, as using action to kind of sell the toughness of one of the bad guys. When they leave the motorball arena and she's running across to the church to try to save Hugo and they're on those pipes and one of the characters like opens up, busts a pipe, right? And she gets through it just fine, but it kills the next guy after the first character. And then, but the final guy that's coming through, he busts through those pipes and it's a really smart order of operations because for one, we get to see that thing did hurt somebody. It, it killed one of the, the guys that was after her. And those are supposed to be some of the hardest criminals in that world in iron city or whatever. Another cheese name. And, <laughs> and the, but that final guy was like, no, this isn't going to affect me. And he busts through it all the same chases her down. And so now you've added a level of toughness. Like this isn't just some guy he's harder than a lot of these other characters. And so it feels like you're getting a tougher fight than you would have without that little tiny five second moment. Mm -hmm. And it's those little touches that really help amp up the, uh, the excitement and the tension a little bit like, Oh, well, how she's going to, how's she going to handle this, uh, situation now? And of course, I mean, she's just, smarter not only faster and and tougher but she's smarter than them too yeah and 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 we talked about this right after like i I felt like one of the coolest things about her as a character is that you know so many times the hero you know gets beaten uh and is you feel like oh they're gonna lose they're gonna lose even when gruishka was you know like handing it to her i there was never an ounce of me that thought that she wouldn't that she wouldn't beat him. Yeah. Even though he like cut her in half and stuff like that. in that first real meeting and that first real, well, not the very first fight, but right. like the, the, the real first fight, even then, like she was just, a, she was still like making it really hard for yeah. him. Uh, you know, uh, and there was just something very rewarding about being with a character like that throughout this whole film where I felt safe. Like, you know, I don't know, watch a Rocky movie. You never really feel safe. But in this case, I felt really like she could go up against anybody. And I was like, Oh, how is she going to kill the shit out of this guy? (laughs) You know, or, or these guys or whatever. And it was, it was so rewarding 
to feel that way and then for her to destroy the crap out of everyone in unique ways. Yeah. Really exciting and aggressive ways. Like seeing her kick the head off that first chick, I was like, oh, really (laughs) aggressive ways. Like the editing on this film was fantastic. I I wonder, and I hope that Robert Rodriguez did this editing because then I'd have so much respect for him. Yeah. Because the fight editing of the fight sequences was just spot on, man. man. I felt like the hits were harder than normal and more poignant. A lot of them you don't even really see. Like they happen so fast. You see the aftermath of it. So you don't even see the hit. So you just hear it. And then you, and then you see what happened and it, it's just some, I don't know. There's something about that. It really, yeah. Really and I on. love her fighting style. Like watching her take that very first time facing Grishka, taking his arm off. I believed it. Oh yeah. Totally. It felt so intelligent and she used, you know, Kunst or whatever. Yeah. The, and they, and they named it. Yeah. They gave her fighting style a unique name Yeah, it, and it was, it, which made it that much more badass. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's purpose and meaning behind this. This this thing has been trained. This girl has been trained in this amazing art that nobody knows anymore. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Anyway, just really good. One thing I will say, I I did not like the the audio mix. Really. In this, like okay. it was, it was really sibilant, meaning. Like if you normally, if you watch an action movie, there's a ton of low end. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, go watch tra- any Transformer movie, and you are rum. There's rumble everywhere all the time. It's awesome. It's really awesome because it makes you feel in the movie, like inside the movie. But in this film, they really don't have much of that at all. It was really high end, mid mid range to high end kind of sound so that when you heard the hits, it almost hurt your ears instead of like a thud. It was like a crack, you know? And I don't know if it was the theater. I don't think it was the theater because I've seen a bunch of movies in that same theater. Do you think that could be because of the, um, the textures they're trying to sell with metal? No, no, because it, it happened when she was fighting people too. Like it was just, and and or, or when she punch like in the bar, yeah, or when she'd even you know punch other cyborgs in the face, but they had skin faces, mm-hmm. like it shouldn't sound like that. I think that there there was, and there's a, it's obviously the mixing because there's a way even with with it being metal on metal for it to not feel. Gotcha. You can add as, low end on that. And- yes, you can add like a thud in that to kind of like round out that metal metallic sound so that it doesn't hurt your ears loud in a theater Hmm. and and a good mixer would know that I'm not saying I'm that guy. I'm just saying that's what I felt watching it is that it's like, you kind of have to assume like that. That's a director call. I mean, yeah, because yeah, he's no stranger to action films. Right. Right. I don't know. I just, I just know that I noticed it. That's interesting. Throughout the film. And yeah. I, enough to like actually call it out. I will say like wrapping up the story stuff, this was for me a, a realization that you can't always be precious with adapting material. Because mm, yeah. I mean, in, in a sense, this was adapted twice. You had the original manga comics um, and then you had James Cameron adapting that into a script. And then you had Robert Rodriguez adapting James Cameron's script to screen and, you know, taking it there. You just have to have some personal, you know, stake in it to say 
this doesn't work for me and I'm going to absolutely change this. It doesn't matter if some of the comic book lovers are going to hate me. I don't, I just don't see this having that big of a fan base. Maybe I'm like way, way, way wrong, but I would say change what needs to be changed and make it uh, slightly more palatable. I think elite is a great title. Like it means elite. Um, and that's pretty much all you need out of this. So like it's, she is elite. She is, you know, a freaking badass. but yeah, you just can't always be precious with the material you're, you're adapting. And you have to understand you're serving two different masters as our friend Joe likes to say. And it's absolutely accurate. You, and if you're not paying attention to the format, then you're missing a lot. And for me, I would have changed so much in this script to kind of make better use of certain deliveries. I would have asked myself, what are the main moments that I need to achieve in this film? How can I build up to those to be the most emotionally satisfying arcs that I possibly can? Mm -hmm. And for her, the whole point of this movie, like you know, we said earlier, was getting the suit and getting the sword. And neither of those moments were very satisfying. Yeah. She just kind of takes Zapan's sword mm -hmm. and she, at best, you could say she forced Ito's hand on giving her the suit. The moment she went downstairs to fight Barishka, I knew she's going to lose this battle because that's the only way she's going to get into that suit. I literally knew that very instant. Really? Um, and I was just waiting. Now, the way it happened surprised the hell out of me because I thought she was going to get through that that little moment and... Because it's in all the trailers, you just assume yeah. she's making that, and she gets shredded. And I was like, "Oh, that's good." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I would have okay. rethought how I arrived at those most important moments of the film. Yeah. Though it was very satisfying the first time she uses the suit and the sword together when Garishka throws one of his barbs at her. Oh yeah. She doesn't move. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's not. Oh, and she just flashes a sword. Yeah. And it's just like game on. Yeah. She, no one can touch her now. <laughs> Nobody. Badass. Um, a few stories, if you like, from the Rodriguez Please. interview. Please. The, one of the cool things in terms of visual effects was when that very first trailer came out, her eyes were really big and it really put off a lot of people. There's a lot of like internet chatter saying, oh, her eyes are too big. It's weird. It's freaking me out. And it's this idea of Uncanny Valley where if you try to make a robot or a computer or draw a face that looks too close to a human face, but it's not perfect, it gives you this really eerie feeling. That's why staying far away from it, like uh, Wally or a smiley face, keeping it very broad strokes, two eyes and a mouth, like that works better. And so people were having a really big issue with the eyes. And James Cameron apparently didn't say anything for a few days. And Rodriguez said he was like, I'm just waiting for this guy to chime in and say how I screwed everything up. And Cameron gets on the phone with him and he's like, hey, so the eyes. <laughs> he's like, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think they're big enough. He's like, that's literally what nobody's saying. <laughs> and he's like, oh, wow. yeah, I think they just need to be bigger. And he's like, how much bigger? Like 30% bigger. <laughs> he's like, what? no what do you mean he's like not the entire eye just the irises make the irises 30 percent bigger it's going to fill out the eye and it's going to feel more natural he's like yeah i don't think so man that sounds bad oh my god <laughs> um and i'm paraphrasing this is my version of it but this is exactly you know the effect of the the, the story and so he goes back to weta and he talks to the guys over there and he's like hey so jim that's what they call him over there Jim says that we need to make the eyes bigger. And he's the, the masters of their craft, as we talked about earlier in the show, 
looks at him. He's like, yeah, no, I don't think so, man. That's a bad oh idea. God. Yeah. Everybody on my team is now saying that's a bad idea. And he's like, well, let's just give it a shot. We'll show it to him. Let's say we tried. So they do it. And of course it works. It was like, it solved the problem. It was yeah. just maybe James Cameron isn't a fantastic writer. I would argue, but God, does he know like physics and engineering and yeah. visual effects? He is an absolute master. If that guy is saying, making a recommendation on one of those fronts, you better listen. Yeah. Like, I've read breakdowns of his work from astrophysicists and mechanical engineers. And they're like, yeah, he pretty much nailed all of that. Like the world he built in avatar could be a very real world. Like all those things that look fantastic and unrealistic could actually exist. The way those rope has mechs move. That's the way mechs would have to move. Um, if the hydraulics were going to, you know, properly that guy knows his stuff and so it's a really impressive thing for him to kind of come in and make a note like that and really help it because i had that same problem when i fr saw that first trailer i was like eh, i don't know about this um but i didn't I have to go a, back and watch it now yeah me too actually that's a really yeah. good idea um there's also great this is probably my favorite story so Rod rodriguez said that he was in new york and he decides to stop in the virgin megastore or whatever it's called up there. It's like this really huge uh, virgin store. I assume they still have the store maybe, or the music store. They do a lot of music, virgin music, Richard Branson's uh, yeah. line. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, he's in the store. He wants to pick up some music, and he runs into Guillermo del Toro. Now, you have to realize this is in like the early 90s, uh, maybe late 80s. So this is before either of these two guys are, to me, household names. And so he sees Guillermo. He's like, hey, what's up? And Guillermo's like, Hey, uh, just here meeting somebody. Actually, do you want to meet James Cameron? And he's like, hell yeah, I want to meet James Cameron. <laughs> like Terminator 2 had just come out, and so everyone's high on that. Yeah. Uh, so that really sets the scene. Like there's a record store, <laughs> Terminator 2. So James Cameron comes in, and he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? Uh, shakes his hand, and he looks at Robert Rodriguez, and he's like, you know, a long time ago, I met a really famous filmmaker, and I don't remember who it was, um, or he didn't remember who it was. And he's like, I met this famous filmmaker, and in my mind I was thinking, I could shoot the shit around this guy. And I felt like I was right. Is that what you're thinking right now? <laughs> no way. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's awesome. And so... What did he say? <laughs> Rodriguez, I want to say that he thought in his head, he's like, there's a right way to answer this and a wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think I could. <laughs> he like he's, he's like, yeah, you little shit, and something along those That's lines. That's awesome. But they had like a, a funny moment. Yeah, they had a great okay, moment, good. and I think they were buddies from then on. Like they, Rodriguez said that Cameron was showing him scripts decades before things were coming out. Like he saw Avatar yeah. in like '95 or something like that. Uh, so just way ahead of the curve. They've just been buddies. And yeah, that's just a great story. And wow. another great James Cameron story is that apparently there's been this rumor for years that the accountants came down and like James Cameron wasn't having it. And he decided that he was going to walk off set and go home. And wait, he, what came down? Uh, they're on the set of Titanic and he was just sick of people trying to tell him how to run his set huh. and how to run his movie. Cause you know, they're, going over budget and and so james cameron was like forget that i'm i'm gonna go home um he left set that day and cost him like a hundred thousand dollars or something you know stupid and just to teach them a lesson and so rodriguez is like hey is it 
I heard this tr- story. Is it true? He's like, that I left the set and cost some money? He's like, no, that's not true. I left the state. <laughs> I left the country. <laughs> he like went to Mexico. <laughs> and he's like, what happened was these accountants came down and they were going through the budget and like, hey, man, you know, we think you're doing wonderful things, but here's some ways that we could really help, you know, shave the, shave the numbers down and make this thing more palatable. And he sat there and listened real patiently. And he's like, yeah, man, sounds like you guys really know what you're doing. I respect that. So you go ahead and handle it from here. I'm going to go. <laughs> and he just took off. <laughs> I don't wow. know if that's actually true. This might still be like. I don't know, but that's a badass story. I can imagine James Cameron doing that. Oh, totally. I've heard some stories about him. Yeah. He's got a he's got a temper. And I guess whenever you have like some of the highest box office movies, grossing movies of all time, you kind of do what you want. (laughs) Uh That's awesome. There was another funny thing, like Rodriguez back in the day had just gotten his steady cam license. He wanted to learn how to use a steady cam. And he saw James Cameron, he's like, Yeah, I just got, you know, my steady cam. And wanted to learn how to shoot on this thing. And James Cameron was like, yeah, I bought one too. And he's like, oh, really? You're going to you know, start shooting more steady cam? He's like, no, I just wanted to tear it apart and see how to build a bigger one or better one. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, damn. That's awesome. That's hardcore. Is all his stories about James Cameron? Basically. Yeah. <laughs> the, one, I will say, the one story that wasn't about him was he's not a very visual effects heavy guy, Robert Rodriguez. He does a lot of stuff in camera. And so outside of like sin city you know a lot of his most of his stuff is happening on set and he was like man it was really surprising for me to send off shots to weta and whoever else and then to get them back i felt like an audience member because i'm just suddenly seeing a finished shot yeah and so i kind of felt the way you guys felt sitting in something i never got to be a part of that in one of my movies before that i'll bet that humanized him (sighs) yeah for everybody in the audience yeah you know like a director that makes major films that are shown all over the world saying, I was so excited to see this thing because my movie was coming to life. Like that probably made you feel like, yeah, really, really you know, that was good. really cool. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And the other thing was he had, he shows what actually happens with the dog. So oh, really? the dog may still be alive. He was, uh, he like broke out his cell phone and showed me, showed it to me on a cell phone that they made an extra clip that might be in the extras or something. I won't spoil it for everybody, oh. but something happens with the dog and, uh, it's, it's cute and it's fun. All right. <laughs> yeah. Something to look forward to. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So all that said, what are you recommending this week? Unless uh, you have other last thoughts, notes. No, 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 no. I no. I, I will. W- the The last thing I will say is that I still really, really, really enjoyed this movie, and I can't wait Same. for the next one. I'm really able to turn my brain off when I first see a movie the first time, and in this one, it was so easy to do. Yeah. What I fucking killed it. It was awesome. I I just let all the issues with story go and everything. I'm sure the second time I see it, I will see everything you say. Totally. Because I had that same problem. Like the first time I watched problem, like I did the same thing. Like I was watching it. I got choked up a few times, like just seeing her deal with things and Mm -hmm. relationships, you know, come together and fall apart and all those rise and fall moments. I, I felt it like I was really emotionally engaged way more than I thought. But even if I went in expecting a decent movie, I, I would have been really happy uh, with that experience. And, and the action was so mind-poppingly good. Like, I mean, her fighting style was so human. Yeah. Too. I mean, yes, she does 
crazy non-human things like flying through the air and, and these crazy avoiding things. Like she's insane, but all the fighting felt very martial arts focused, mm-hmm. something that human beings would do just way faster and with way more power. Right. So imagine, imagine Bruce Lee times 10, you know, with his speed, accuracy, and strength. Yeah. And that's what you have in Alita. So, but like it's, it's, it's a human art form. It felt like, and so that's why I felt like it was just so it, like badass because it, you know, I love sport and I love people who can do sport really well. Same. So, so, or do something physical. It doesn't have to be sport, but something physical really well to the point where I can't stop watching it. You know, we've, we've talked about free solo and you know, Alex Honnold climbing El Cap, like that kind of stuff. Like I'm not a climber. I never will be a climber. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. But watching someone at like the best at what they do is just in, in, incredible for me. And so this felt so human in her fighting style that I was so, I just couldn't wait for the next fight scene because I wanted to see what other badass thing she was going to do that was human-esque. Totally, you know? because she humanizes her character so well. You always feel like when she takes the bite of the chocolate and she just kind of melts oh, her, she God, sags yeah. down to really savor that yeah. that that taste and that moment and this experience. Like she is constantly just selling it what it means to be human. Yeah, and that's so difficult to do for even some of the actors in there. <laughs> like, I, like so to do it as a cyborg and make me believe there's a heart in there, there's a person in there. Um, inside those visual effects is no small feat. Yeah. My, my favorite, my dude, my absolute favorite moment. It's a tiny moment, but is it, is it the orange? No, 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 no. That's my favorite moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite human moment, but I'm not even talking about that shit. I'm talking about the fighting stuff. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, Yes, that is my favorite. <laughs> like when that she was just, so ah. good. <laughs> and he like puts his hand yeah. out like like I would for my daughter. Yeah. Like you can spit it in my hand. Uh, that is a wonderful moment. No, when uh, <laughs> the first time she fights Zapan mm-hmm. in the bar yeah. and he he grabs her and she immediately like if you blink you miss it she immediately does this very martial arts thing where she grabs his hand reaches around with her right hand grabs his throat and slams him on the table but you do not expect it and this is misogynist in me but you don't expect it because she's a a really cute little girl Mm -hmm. and in this bar of like crazy men. Yeah. Right. And we've already had the establishment of Zapan as the best of the best. Right. Yeah, exactly. And all of those things mixed together, but it, and it's so fast and so fucking violent that I was just like, I, I was sitting next to you and I go, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> like out loud in the theater. Um, and of course she does some, you know, other amazing things, but that tiny little moment is so badass. I could watch that, that five seconds, like over and over again. I think my favorite action moment is probably shortly after that. Yeah. Whenever she kicks the sword into the the rock right above him. Right above his head, yeah. Because for so many reasons, it's great character reveal. She didn't just take a sword. She's not a thief. And it's also just a badass movement 
that she never touches it with her hand. Like she flips it up with her foot and then kicks it. Um, she also doesn't kill him. She's not a murderer. And so there's some great character revelation through that moment. And then she also chastises him along with it when she tells him, you do not deserve the sword. Um, yeah. And like it all just kind of coalesces into this actual great character reveal. And I she, think. she knows she's from Mars at that point. And, and so she could take the sword, but doesn't. yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, yeah, I just wanted to say that. Um, yeah, my recommendation is kind of, it's a little, like if you flip everything, so like there's, I don't know, whatever. My recommendation is Maze Runner, the first Maze Runner. Interesting. Uh, and I say that because I really, it was a real surprise to me that I liked it so much. Ah, you know, okay. I watched the trailer and I thought, okay, you know, I was kind of, you know, stoked to see it cause, just because I didn't know what it was. But I, I was, I thought, oh, the, this is going to go one of two ways. I'm either really going to like it or I'm really going to hate it. But I felt that that Dylan O'Brien did a really great job in this in his role. I believed him. I thought the kids were, you know, fun, and the storyline was like, you know, it was it's like crazy out there, just yeah. like Alita is. But I can totally let everything go yeah. and just like be in that world, and that you know whatever, and find out what they're finding out with them. And it so it was a really another really great sci-fi with some really awesome special effects that I enjoyed and was totally immersed the whole time. That's yeah. awesome. That's a good record. Uh, yeah, I've seen that a couple of times too, and I've I've always enjoyed it. Like yeah, right. To watch it more than once it means that I really enjoyed. Right. Something, I mean, a movie like that. Yeah. If you go back and watch it again, if you say yeah, I'll watch that again, that's a success. I will yeah. say because those aren't movies that are going to be timeless that in 20 years you'll probably say yeah this holds up it probably won't <laughs> but like you know for 5 years or 10 years even yeah it it definitely will and yeah. for you to say oh you know what this it was a good story um it was fun it was immersive and i kind of want to see if there's something else i can find out about it yeah i'll go watch it again that's that's what that move if if that kind of movie does that to you then it was a good one hell yeah. yes yeah i'm going to recommend another female starring badass uh, Atomic Blonde. Charlize Theron. Yeah, man. Destroying mofos. I love the action in there. I mean, I don't know that I follow the story very well at all, uh, if at all, but it's so convoluted. But the action in there is some of the best action uh, that I've seen with a woman taking the lead. Like, she's awesome. So... Definitely recommend that. Awesome. Nice. So stay tuned for next week. So this week kind of kicked off a small little uh, trend of, I don't know what else to call it, but uh, girl power or you know strong female leads. And we're just going to do a few movies uh, that kind of focus on maybe they're strong characters. That's to be determined, but certainly strong uh, female leads. Mm-hmm. Um, so next week we're going to do Annihilation. Nice. With Natalie Portman. Yeah. 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 That's my favorite. One of my favorite writer directors, Alex Garland, um, who adapted that from a book. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Awesome. And don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes and wherever else you find us. If you're on Stitcher or whatever podcast apps there are, Google play store. I don't know how they work. I keep trying to look to see if there are reviews out there for this. <laughs> <on> there. <laughs> I don't even know. know how to find it. Oh, <laughs> Maybe no. that's my maze. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> And if you want to drop us a note, please do so. We love hearing from you guys. Send us an email if you're more shy. Uh, If you don't want your opinions to be public, we won't post them. Uh, Or drop us a note on the actual website for this episode. You can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash Alita Battle Angel altogether. 
And we'll leave you with a quote of the day uh, by Isaac Asimov. The saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. Wow. I felt like that was kind of a a light point of in this film, or at least that it's not emphasized or really discussed at all, but that could be a part of Ito's idea of she, she shouldn't have the suit for one. He doesn't know what's in her, but that's, that's wisdom on his part to withhold technology from someone instead of, you know, a lot of times we don't really get that. We just see, uh, to quote a famous mathematician, we're so busy thinking if we can do something, we don't consider whether or not we should. We should. Who said that? Because <laughs> Dr. Ian Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I know that. <laughs> but I mean, it's so, so true that there's experiments running today, I'm sure, in places that don't have any oversight, which I have varying ideas and feelings about. But I. I can't help but wonder what kind of world we're going to have in a hundred years, let alone 600. If you know, we don't slow our roll just a little bit. And I mean, even with social media, it's so easy to ostracize someone who has one bad moment that this is what you are for the rest of your life. You got angry one time, um, in a checkout line because, uh, you're, you just found out your dad had cancer and someone, whatever skipped you in line and you had a meltdown and someone caught it on camera. And now forever, no one knows that other part of your story. They don't know that you're having a bad day. They just know, you know, you're, we hate you now and now you're going to lose your job. And like, we're not doing a very good job (laughs) acclimating with technology right now. Yeah. I have a lot of hope. I'm a pretty optimistic person when it comes to humanity, believe it or not. But we, we, we still have a lot to learn, a lot of wisdom to, to, to take in, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I see it a little bit like, I mean, we're going to, we obviously exponentially scientifically, we're going to, we, we learn, we learn exponentially when we, when, you know, these days, right. And technology is advances exponentially, but we as, as human beings or society in general, as a whole have a lot of, we are slow to change. Yeah. Right. Very slow to change. So, so it's, it's only natural that things are going to be discovered or things are going to change in what we call reality faster than we can actually soak that in and accept it as new truth. Right. That doesn't, that's not necessarily to, you know, it's not, it's not specifically like, the earth was flat and now it's round and now I got to get my head around that. It's more like, I mean, yeah, I think that you, social media is a really good example, right? So that wasn't, that didn't exist, you know, 20 years ago. And now we're having, we're growing up in, or our kids are going to grow up in a world where there's always been social media. But for us, you know, one of the, the big things that I actually talked to my parents about is, you know, because they're hardcore Christian I'm not my generation. We had, we didn't get answers to a lot of questions that our parents didn't know were going to be questions. So they didn't have the answers. They grew up never having internet, never having uh, social media, never having to deal with trolling or, you know, yeah, there was, there was physical bullying, but not online bullying. You know, there wasn't a lot of things that they grew up with that we did. 
And so they didn't know the questions that we were going to have to be able to know the answers. And so we're having to find those out to give to our children. And it's like, that's just one little example, but technology, you know, we're, you know, we talk about cloning and genetic, genetic modifications and, and all of these things. And how are we going to have the, to know the questions to answer for our children? You know, we're, we're not. And, and so I think that that's, that's always going to be a problem Yeah, moving forward. We're just because we're not going to know the questions. Um, uh, and, and that's a but, relatively new phenomenon. Like, yeah, right. We're it talking, is. what, 100 years? Yeah, exactly. You know, like everything was always the same up until it wasn't. Yeah. And when it wasn't um, was when the technological boom really started happening. I want to say, you know, from from the invention of the car or the plane or maybe even more so the television yeah. is probably more along those along the lines of what we're talking about, because now all of a sudden people are more connected than ever because, you know, uh, television just connects people better than like maybe a radio even, I don't know. Radio is probably a good example, but I think television is probably the best example because it's so much easier to share culture now. Mm. And now we're seeing a, yeah. a melting pot of the world instead of a country. Yeah. And there's no easier way to do that than through TV. Yeah. And, and, but the generation before TV never had that. They didn't know how to, how to deal with kids that would just plant themselves in front of the television. Yeah. Right. And that mm-hmm. is a huge, huge problem. Now we have, we don't have that. I mean, we have the problem with TV. Yes, but it's more so with phones or tablets or, you know, like our kids are, or social media on our phones. They're always constantly on them. And we need to learn we need to learn how to spot the questions before they, they hurt the next generation because we don't know how to answer them. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it is so big. I mean, there's always been new technologies coming along like sabotage. Uh, Our friend and former CEO Byron Reese likes to use this story of sabotage. That word means uh, like boot basically. And, because in I want to say Italy, they didn't the the cobblers or the shoemakers didn't like these new factories that were churning out shoes, and so they would take their their wood clogs and throw them into the machinery to break the gears in order to try to save their jobs. And so there's always been this idea of technological upheaval, but the thing that we're talking about is something much more granular that's mm-hmm. uh, systemic and. It's not affecting one area. It's affecting all areas. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like um, avoidance of technology to save your personal like job or something. It's, it's, the, it's dealing with the acceptance of the technology. Yeah. The world has accepted TV. The world has accepted airplanes, cars, social media, cell phones. It's been accepted. The issue like that this quote is talking about is how to embrace it the right way, you know, how to learn from it and, and, yeah. and keep up with it. Right. Cause yeah. it's constantly, you can ahead use of us. it and you can, yeah, you know? Yeah. And if, I mean, as Isaac Asimov is just a famous fi- science fiction writer and I'm sure he's got other accolades behind that. I want to say he not an engineer, but physicist, I don't know, but really intelligent guy. And that's, just such a pointed commentary about the clash of science and society mm-hmm. is to your point it's it's 
it's not going to get easier. And hopefully the sooner we can learn more empathy as a society in all areas, not just whenever it applies to you and people you care about and issues you care about, but in all areas, the yeah. ability to empathize is always going to reward us with more growth than yeah. not. So, yeah. Awesome. I love these quotes, man. I love them. Yeah, I get love us out on soapbox. Good yeah. choices every week. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for uh, joining us uh, for this coverage of Alita. Really appreciate uh, any reviews and subscriptions that that you can give us. Please share us on iTunes or on your uh, social media outlets and all that good jazz. And and write a review, please. Until next week, where we'll be doing Annihilation. I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies. Mm-hmm.